Welcome back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and I am joined by Elizabeth Samuel. It's a bit. All right, we will be continuing on with three hosts. <laughs> what? Are you a bad friend, or are you just being fiscally responsible? The world will never know. Thank you for your service, and have a blessed day. Goodbye for all time. Hey guys, sorry. Uh, the the machine the machine uh, did take my card after all, so I could join. Uh, Justin, you don't have to pay the charges. I know you were about to, and I appreciate that, but don't worry about it. I got it covered. Everything's fine. Uh, which chapters are we discussing today? Hi, Caleb. Um, yeah. <laughs> I we're feel here. like Caleb should start going first because I always try to start one bit and then Sam continues my bit and then Caleb says, no, no, and <laughs> swerves us wildly into a different lane's bit. And there's always a lot more production value on his bits. <laughs> I just had technical difficulties. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just, you know, can we just get to the podcast? It, I'm just kind of embarrassed that that it took, I was a little late, um, but uh, yeah. Clearly not a bit. You know what would be funny is if is if I cut your entire intro and left your apology. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Just, it's just silence for a minute and then you saying, oh, we're proceeding with three guests. And then I have to say, I'm sorry I was late. <laughs> Exactly. Justin with the secret editing fourth bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn it. No, third bit. How many bits? We have too many bits already. We've got too many bits. Let's, let's just get to the chapters. We have room for so many more bits, but whatever you say. <laughs> All right. What we also have room for is uh, reading Mistborn the Final Empire. Uh, nice. Chapters nice 19 segue. through 21 was the, the setup today. And uh, how are we all doing? We are, we've entered the second half of the book here. It's very good. I'm, I'm having fun. <laughs> it's good. It's a good, good book. The recruiting finally picked up. Mm-hmm. Which, thank God, because I was going crazy. It was like, what do you mean it's 20 people at a time? And now, all of a sudden, big batch on a boat. It's good to start getting into the meat of things, because mm-hmm. it feels like we're, we're having fewer big revelations and explanations each episode, but it's it's nice to feel like we're getting into the, the rhythm of the book in yeah. after 300-some pages. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a flaw because so much of the world building is so, like, interesting and fascinating, um, but you're right that it is nice to just have, like, three chapters that are pretty much just plot and not, like, more revelations about how the world works necessarily. Um, it's It's... I wouldn't call it a breather episode necessarily, but it's nice to, yeah, like you said, just kind of get in the rhythm of like, yeah, we're actually planning a heist and that's still going to happen. So let's focus on that for a little bit. Right. And we still get some uh, some cool elementsy info in the middle there too. Yep. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, let's jump into the swing of things then. Uh, we start as we have each chapter uh, with an epigraph. Uh, we've got a, a lengthy one to kick off chapter 19 where uh, our writer is talking about when they first met Quan, who was the 
philosopher who discovered them as the hero. Uh, apparently, Quan is a somewhat of an unusual fellow. The other terrorist philosophers are kind of what you'd you'd picture with the the word philosopher. Uh, meanwhile, Quan was was uh, working on the the deep problem of whether trees could think. So, <laughs> discuss. <laughs> Can trees think? Have you seen the picture of the tree um, that evolved to create blossoms that look like birds? What? I think I have. Is it an accident or can trees see? What? Oh my god. Does it help them evolutionarily? Because just over time, if evolution decided, hey, we survive longer if our leaves are shaped in this funky way, then that would probably explain that. Or it thinks. It could think. I have, I haven't seen the happening, but I do believe it, that's a true story. Um, so I, I got to keep that in mind whenever I'm thinking about plants. I'm trying to remember. I believe this bit, or or some reference to the question of trees thinking, comes back like two books later, and I'm trying to remember what it is. But it's it's still an irrelevant bit. But I do like that it comes back. <laughs> Everyone put a pin in it. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. I like that we're getting into the swing of the things with the epigraphs, too. Like, in previous chapters, we've gotten so many vague references and some philosophizing, but it almost feels like we're getting into a more narrative portion based on what we've seen previously and, and starting to get more concrete names and, and events. It's exciting. Right, this was, like, this was a plot event that actually happened in the past. Yeah, I feel like now that the secret is out about where all these epigraphs are originating from... Um... Yeah, we can peel back the curtain a little bit and and really show that, yeah, this is a journal and he's just kind of chatting about everything that's happening to him, not just his deep inner, like, super deep philosophical thoughts and also just like, yeah, here's this guy I met. He's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Kicking into the chapter itself, uh, we rejoin Kelsier with his main plan of sowing chaos in the city, which we see several uh, bits of his, his procedure here. Uh, starting with him hauling a corpse around. Yeah, I think it's actually a very interesting um, dichotomy. I think this was a good place to have, like, for episode purposes, have a, have a chapter break. But I think it's very interesting that the previous chapter is about, like, guards working for the nobility very casually killing a ska. And then here we have a ska very casually killing a noble. Or, and mm -hmm. or actually coming back to a body after he's already been killed. Um, this The kind of... Uh, um, parallels there even though Kelsier is doing it for a greater purpose um you can tell he's very casual about the whole thing um so having those two juxtaposed so close together is interesting yeah anybody cast lord char's entron the corpse the, the guy who we we meet as he's been knifed about half an hour ago and his face is in the dirt so we don't even see his face <laughs> i write down every name everybody um, Meland, who could forget? Uh, me, apparently. I, I couldn't. I did cast Meland. I did not cast Char's Entrone, the dead body. Yeah, me neither. He's just an agent of chaos, this Kelsier. Mm -hmm. I mean, we continue to show how he's an agent of chaos, but he's seemingly thought through. I feel like he's not a chess player, but this is similar to a chess play where he's thinking like, five moves ahead right you know they'll blame this house and that'll you know right he has picked a particular person to be his corpse and it picked a particular location for this corpse to be dumped 
so that the implications will be as large as he can make them. Yeah. Pick a particular person who will be framed even though he doesn't leave a calling card. Well, I mean, I guess he does. He stabs him. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's nothing that says, like, Cruz Geffenry did this. And if anybody tells on me, I'll kill you too. You know, it's just, he was stabbed. It must be this guy. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like seeing strategy Kelsier because so much of the sowing of General Mayhem, like we were introduced to that part of the plan by him just going, and tonight I will attack, throws dart at board, house venture. <laughs> but now we're seeing a bit more of the, you know, the planning, the scheming that pre-Alamancy heist Kelsier must have done to uh, play this kind of 4D chess with everyone. We need to uh, get somebody on making hmm, today I will memes about Kelsier. Hmm, <laughs> today I will rob the biggest house. I'm pretty sure you could make one of those like per chapter. <laughs> yeah, this does seem like it would have potential. I'm not the meme maker though, Caleb. That's you. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. We'll put our unpaid interns on it. I'm the unpaid <laughs> intern, Beth. We all know this. I had a meme intern once. What? I mean, he was also doing, like, work, but he okay. mostly just made memes for but a the team. important was work. great. <laughs> oh, no, it was great. He was he had some, some skill with the custom emoji. A valuable resource. Put it on the resume. Meanwhile, I snipped out a picture from uh, the Eric Andre show and scribbled <laughs> out the text. <laughs> Caleb, you're, like, the fact that you can do it midstream while we're talking is doubly amazing. I don't know. That's what you don't pay me for. Give it up for Caleb and the memes that you can't see, listeners. Yeah, they're really good, trust me. So I was I was actually looking at the, um, the annotations that Brandon writes, because there was another thing that's coming up that I thought he'd mentioned, but I think he mentions it somewhere else. Uh, but I actually got some trivia about uh, the, uh, the Lord and Trone. A decent number of people, of side characters mostly, are named after friends or acquaintances or whatnot of Brandon. And apparently, Lord Entrone is a a fan who Brandon had talked with online named Charlie, who, to Brandon's knowledge, was his first reader in the UK. So he said, you know, I thought I'd, uh, I'd say thanks by making him this dead guy. <laughs> by making him this particularly notedly awful dead guy yeah it reminds me of uh when they were making dead space 2 uh they had a little like fan sweepstakes thing and if you won they're like we'll put you in the game and then the person who won um it's uh you're going down an elevator and then the elevator doors open up and a random civilian is like trying to get into the elevator running away from the monsters and gets torn apart very gore in a <laughs> very gory fashion um and that was the sweepstakes winner when when the Kickstarter ran for the Homestuck Adventure game, there was a, a reward tier. I believe it was at $10,000 for your fan troll will appear in Homestuck, uh, which two people bought. There was a second tier, I think at $25,000 for your fan troll will appear in Homestuck and survive more than a single page, uh, which they did not buy. So they, they, they showed up on one page, and then their entire planet was annihilated on the next page. Wow. Classic stuff. 20 grand well spent. 
So yeah, Kelsier is uh, is finishing up his, his the first bit of his mission here. Sorry, that transition back to the oh, yeah, book no. was very funny to me. Yeah, no, I just have to kind of slam the 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 gear stick back into 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 force. Yeah, the thing that I was uh, what I was trying to look up in the annotations, and I think it's mentioned somewhere else. Uh, there's a bit as Kelsier is is traveling on. Uh, where he's he's thinking about how the plan is going, uh, and he mentions his other plan, which he he does not speak about. It doesn't even really consider it, uh, and then we just go on from there. Uh, and Brandon has called this out, I think, as something that he wishes he didn't have to do because it is kind of awkward for Kelsier to like pointedly not think about something and thereby keep it secret from the reader. Uh, but Brandon was just like, in this case, I kind of had to do that. So sorry. Um, I, I found it funny also, uh, you know, I'll talk about that in a second because it does bear mention, but, uh, you know, <laughs> he, uh, a couple pages before he says he pulls out his pocket watch made out of dangerous metal. And I read dangerous metal as like, Ooh, it must be an alimantic metal, but no, it's, it's just metal. It's just metal. Just, he's <laughs> having metal. Yeah. But I wrote in my notes, ninth metal? Nope. Just metal. <laughs> just regular just, metal. The ninth metal is time. Ooh, the watch has made itself out of time. Someone write this down. This is too good. If only there was a way this conversation was being recorded for posterity. So the, the second part of Kelsier's mayhem spreading for the night, uh, he has put on a disguise. He is going to be imitating a nobleman, an unnamed noble of some sort. Uh, and he has contacted one of the, the underground's informants. Uh, this is a man named Hoyd, uh, who he meets smoking a pipe, which is apparently very expensive. Tobacco is hard to find. Uh, and Kelsey is just going to kind of make some stuff up and and get the rumors to, to spread, get the rumor mill churning. Yeah. But Kelsier's whole probing is all about House Renault, and the informant gets frustrated because he's like, who gives a shit? It's House Renault. Like, right. <laughs> you sure you don't want to know about a house that matters? Which I think is, at this event, at this juncture, a good thing. I'm sure later on people will need or want to know more about House Renault, but for now I feel like who gives a shit is a good place for it to be. Right, and Kelsier is is reassured by this of you know the the cover is still intact, which is good. No news is good news, yeah. Apart from rumors beginning to spread about a union between Lady Valette and Lord Ellen Venture. Yeah, oh, that whoops. won't do. <laughs> and Kelsier whoops. goes, excuse. <laughs> and and then uh, a page later, the rumor twists to. You know, Valette is going to marry Ellen, and then flips to Ellen is watching over Valette, which, which is like a brotherly-sisterly relationship, so it's weird. Yeah, they got they really don't know what's going on, and Vin should probably be careful in what she says. Yeah. She should offend him, like Kelsier said. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. I do appreciate that this is one of the first times we've seen Kelsier just kind of baffled when all this, all these rumors <laughs> are going up, and Kelsier's like, "What's going on over there?" <laughs> yeah. So before we move on from this first meeting, 
this was a this was a debate that Beth and I had on how much do we talk about, uh, because depending on the order that you read Sanderson books in, you may know more or less things. Uh, but I think all we're going to say for now is that Hoyd knows a lot more than he lets on, uh, and that when he shows up and talks to main characters, he's probably meddling in things. And we're not going <laughs> to see him again for a very long time. I I was a little bit aware of that. I've I've overheard discussion of Hoyd in in certain group chats I'm a part of, and I took that into account in casting. I figured I should I should probably make sure I I. Uh, I think about this for a little bit. Oh yeah, it's also horrendous for casting because he's very much in disguise here and looks nothing like like other times that he shows up, he has a fairly consistent description and here he looks completely different. Yeah, don't so much put a pin as Hoyd as just sort of like tear him out of our our little Pepe Sylvia board we've got going and make a whole new board for him. <laughs> yeah, that's probably correct. But that's it for now. Um Kelsier finishes up his his chat. Uh, has accidentally, quote-unquote, dropped some some new rumors that Hoyd will probably mention to some other people. Uh, and then off he goes towards Alstrom Square, which is named after his assistant, Peter Alstrom. So there's another friend of Brandon's in there. Um, I do want to mention before we jump too far, uh, Lady Shan, the rumor spreads that she's a soother, mm-hmm. um, and that Alariel is giving her permission to use Alamancy at parties. Um I still hold by my Elomancia's gun vision. Yeah. No, I think it, it, it still tracks. You may point your gun at parties. I mean, a powerful house like Alarial, that's a decision they could make. You know, they it would be the equivalent of, of like sending people with heavily armed bodyguards or something like that. So our next meeting of the night, this is a another role reversal now kelsier is is playing the part of the informant uh and he meets uh straff venture the head of house venture who is just a a great person i mean he's on brand yeah <laughs> but i i like to picture um you know kelsier just quickly moving through the city of luthadel while simultaneously picking off parts of his beard right <laughs> like Quick, I must look like I'm poor. I must look change from looking rich and clean to poor and dirty. Good thing he was doing it in that order. Yeah, probably easier. Yeah, through all of the 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 you know, magical powers and whatnot that Kelsier has access to, this is just, you know, he's wearing a costume and some like a, a, a fake beard and making things up. This is a very simple process. That's very uh, reminiscent of, like, the original Sherlock Holmes stories where, you know, in a lot of adaptations, they don't focus too hard on it. But, like, in the originals, he was, like, a master of disguise of just randomly, like, dress up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, just the idea of him, like, as he's walking, tearing off the beard and, like, muddying up his hair and everything. I just really like that image. I think that's fun. So this is now from the other side of the, the table. Kelsier is trying to to wind things up with giving some information to to lord venture and and trying to get them to uh start some trouble as well uh it ends up in a a bit of a weird situation for kelsier where he has to inform on himself because the survivor of hathson is the thing that that straff is most interested in which is another time rare time we see kelsier entirely on his back foot venture said suddenly tell me about the survivor of hathson kelsier froze 
Excuse me, my lord? <laughs> He's shook. There's a, 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 a correct level of rumor that he needs to have about himself. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll talk about it at the end, but I would say that he's way overshot his mark. <laughs> like, um, it, it, I don't know. Um, having Venture know that he's in town is good, but at the same time, you could take the rumors of like, oh, we found his body in the garden. It must be this guy. Or it could be this guy that's been outwardly hostile to us for his entire life um, and is now back in town and has magical powers <laughs> and hates us still. Yeah, there's a, a tricky line to tread here, and it's it's hard to tell where Kelsier actually is in relation to that. Right. I This is second episode in a row we've mentioned Detroit Become Human, but there's one scene in that game where you're interrogating uh, an android and you have to like pressure him enough that he gives you the information but if you go too high his stress levels are so high that he basically just shuts down um so you're trying to find like a good middle ground in terms of of putting the pressure on him and i feel like kelsier had a little side quest just now that's also in that regard and it's not quite clear how successful he was if, if he treaded the line a little bit too far on that end. And before this conversation wraps up, we get a couple of, of interesting beats. Strafventure is apparently fairly knowledgeable in interesting allomancy. And so he starts asking Kelsier about the 11th medal. Uh, and Kelsier is trying to play things off and, and say, oh, it's, that's just a legend. Uh, and Straff says, oh, I, I know all about these things, and I've never heard of this before, so something's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I still feel like the 11th medal is BS spread by Kelsier. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out, obviously, but I think that the point of it, um, you know, there's a point for allies and there's a point for enemies, um, and in terms of a point for enemies, it's uh, a rumor that'll get them to chase ghosts, Mm. you know um make them a little fearful so he's kind of accomplishing that if indeed it's bs like i assume or am guessing i guess at this point and then uh lord venture does some some pondering of his own mentions something to do with uh getting a hold of someone's corpse and possibly imitating a man's appearance so lord venture has some some theories as to what's going on and then that uh, that just ends, and it's time for Kelsier to head back to Mansion Renault, and we get a a good chat among the crew there. Yep, and uh, Brandon name drops the species of thing that Lord Renault is. It is who I am, Vicandra said simply. No explanation. Yep. Um. So. Me being me, um, I thought that that was just a very strange vocabulary word that's in the English language. Um, so I googled Chandra, uh, and the first result was Coppermind. So I hurriedly closed the tab, hyperventilated for a sec, because I don't want to spoil anything. But yeah, geez, whatever a Chandra is. That's a big old Rafo for right now. Yeah, yeah I, have, I have thoughts. I don't know if we should wait till theory section, but I have thoughts. Yeah, let's, let's save it till the end. So this is actually immediately after the party of the previous chapter. So this was presumably Kelsier's nighttime goings about were, were during that party. And so now Vin 
has has come home. She's still wearing the red dress, which Kelsier notes is is a, a good sign in that normally she would have just changed out of it right away because she wasn't comfortable in them. Uh, but she's just hanging out with with Lord Renault. Uh, and she's very annoyed because she thought that it was a great productive party with lots of, of good info that she's learned. Uh, and it turns out that Sazed learned basically all of the same things. And so she's like, well, what was the point? I just find this amusing where she's she's like, I thought I was doing great, but it's just, it's frustrating. I mean, yeah, it is kind of a bummer that like this past chapter was one of the first times she was like, oh yeah, I really feel like I'm getting it now. And then she finds out that yeah, that was that I could have been learning no information and say Zed would have just gotten everything anyways. Mm -hmm. Kelsier talks about like, oh, you know, you'll you'll get better intel once you make more connections and become more trusted in the groups and whatever. I don't think Vin is that kind of person. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Valette is and she can really dive into that. But Vin's an introvert. <laughs> right. I don't know. So getting in close with other groups is not a, you know, speaking as one, it's not a thing that introverts are great at. So she'll really have to act, I guess, to to get into the circle of friends. All right. Uh, so Vin now learns that apparently her conversations about, her offhand comments about, about the Renault venture connection have gotten a little out of hand and she's not okay with that and so Kelsier's like you gotta you gotta be careful what you say but and then they they chat on some of the things we did learn uh, last chapter starting with the uh, venture lacal hasting gathering at the end of the night that we saw uh, and and Kelsier agrees with says that that is a uh, a very strange combination of allies if they are uh, hanging out together and then uh Vin hangs behind, has something else to to tell Kelsier uh, about what what she found. And uh, during this conversation, Kelsier is, is like, oh, she is head over heels for this boy. And that's a problem. But what Vin wanted to talk about was uh, the books that we saw that Ellen was reading. In particular, the one that had a fake cover and seemed to be very critical of the Lord Ruler. And... So, so she mentions a couple of things that it, it says. Uh, it turns out that, that Kelsier actually knows this pretty well. Uh, he knows the title of the book, and he says any keeper could, could tell you the whole thing. Uh, and it, it is what Vin thought it was. It's a, a book that is a very critical, in-depth look at the final empire. The writer was hooked, even though he didn't blaspheme. Yeah, that's uh, not a good way to go. Oh, that's what you meant. Uh, Sam posted a picture of his notes earlier and it just said uh, the author was hooked and it had been a several days since I had read the chapter I was like hooked on what like he's just really into the idea of of not liking the Lord <laughs> Ruler hooked on phonics but yeah my handwriting is atrocious and I, I hand wrote my notes for this um, and then eventually transcribed them but uh, dear reader it looks like I wrote the the writer of the weather book was Hodeed H-O-D-E-E-D. -E and I was about to Google that to find out if I had meant to Made write a name. Word. <laughs> or like, maybe his name was Odeed, because it's a capital H in my notes. Um, yeah, my handwriting's bad. So. <laughs> well, you can, you can join the group there. So Kelsier's conclusion here is that uh, False Dawn wasn't exactly all that big of a deal in in 
as far as revolutionary literature goes, and that the Lord Ruler mostly just, I mean, he, he destroyed a bunch of copies, but then also just kind of ignores it, and most people don't get a hold of it because it's a, a fairly dry academic treatise, uh, and he can just let it kind of linger. Uh, Kelsier has started scheming, though. He says if if Ellen Venture has possession of this sort of of book, then we could uh, we could cause some chaos. We could turn him in, and he might even be executed, and that would be a big deal. And Vin is horrified, and and tells Kelsier that you know maybe Ellen could be on their side, possibly. Uh, and Kelsier's not buying it. I do love the idea of, um, when it comes to the False Dawn, by not forbidding it, the Ministry doomed it to obscurity. I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, I'm reminded of like the the section at Barnes & Noble that I love, which is like the section of just books that have been banned. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that does kind of make them more prominent, and they make headlines, and people talk about them. And by just kind of ignoring the book and trusting that it's boring enough that it won't actually cause any trouble um the ministry kind of has has ensured that it won't i i think that's a really interesting place to uh uh take that kind of um lore mm -hmm. kelsier mentions that oh you know the lord ruler will uh kind of gives nobles a little bit of leeway um and he'll occasionally let them get away with things like reading edgy texts or assassinating family members <laughs> Just, yeah one of these things is not like the other thing they're just <laughs> things you can do read you know forbidden books stab your brother well hang on <laughs> uh i hope that you do not take this as inspiration into your own life justin um and there's also a, an interesting tidbit in that paragraph um the lord ruler is far more lenient he sees the nobility as children of his long-dead friends and allies, the men who supposedly helped him defeat the Deepness. Oh, yeah. And then as we wrap up the chapter, there's a um, bit of a... There's a conversation here with, with Vin and Kelsier where Kelsier is really trying to, to get across his impression, which is, as nice as he seems, Elland is nobility. He's not on our side. You need to be careful, and you probably shouldn't be talking with him that much in any case so that's what you're going to do moving forward and and vin says that she understands and kelsier thinks that there's absolutely no way that his message has gotten across and they're going to have to figure that out yeah at some point somebody's going to break her heart whether it's ellen or kelsier or somewhere in this venture ha somebody's gonna be upset <laughs> or dead we're hooked. Who knows? Yeah, there's all sorts of ways that this could go wrong. Not getting Hodid. Hodid. <laughs> <laughs> Onwards, then we go to chapter twenty. Uh, this time, our uh, our epigraph. Uh, this is mysterious, but also more information than we've heard before. We've heard about this this shadowy figure that the writer had seen, uh, and. They've given us some more details this time. Uh, it's not really a shadow. Uh, it's it's translucent, but it doesn't have a, an outline. Uh, and it's like it's made out of a dark fog, or perhaps a mist. Hmm. 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 Yeah. 
That's interesting. Um, this isn't like a fully fleshed out theory, so I'll just say it now. Um, but I'm like, you know, getting the gears turning in my head and wondering, like, perhaps defeating the deepness or getting whatever was in the well, like, made Lord Ruler into the very first Alamancer or something? Because we know Alamancers and Mistings and Mistborns are kind of like tied to the Mists in some way. Um, and seems like he might have kind of brought the Mists with his, with whatever power he's acquired here. Um, and also, you know, the fact that he's he's talking about specific things and, and objects following him also makes me think of the Mist Wraiths, which we've only seen one of so far. Um, but, um, you know, kind of a, a, you know, we haven't seen it be wispy and formless necessarily, but we know they don't have like one specific, uh, uh, physical appearance. Um, so yeah, just in general, very interesting to see Lord Ruler also be tied to the mist in some form. So now we, we join Vin, uh, as we're actually skipping through some time here, uh, as Vin has, has resumed her life of going to parties in Luthadel, trying to gather information. Uh, and it's it's not going as well as she'd like. She's bored of the, the travel back and forth. She'd like to find some information faster. Uh, and she'd also like to hang out with Elendmore, and he hasn't been there for a couple of weeks, so she's annoyed at that. Yep. I wrote down my notes that Vin's starting to enjoy balls, and I uh, added a parenthetical LOL. You'll be glad to know. Appropriate. Yep. I would expect nothing less. Uh, yeah, she describes Ellen's honest, earnest eyes, which was a really, like, interesting description to me, because I've never heard a description like that given to, you know, two googly eyes pasted onto a puppet made out of a dirty gym sock before, but, like, honestly, really, really impressive, uh, descriptive work there. All right, we, we've, we've got battle lines being drawn on what we think of these people. I'm, I'm here for it. The... One other note that amuses me is that uh, even though apparently Elland isn't paying Valette much attention right now, uh, Shan Alariel is, and Shan hates her. And so Vin has had to deal with that. Just bullying her whenever they meet. Mm-hmm. I know how that feels. It is a kind of a, a an amusingly low stakes danger right now. Like Vin is dealing with learning her alimantic powers and not being discovered and doing all this spy works and also just this woman who really hates her and keeps insulting her it's like why do i have to deal with this too but we pick up with the uh the action of the chapter and and the end of vin's internal thoughts uh, as she arrives back at the mansion uh there's a lot going on the the weapons that uh lord renault has been ordering are uh, being packed up, being shipped out. So they have a, a bit of a chat about how the plan is going there. Uh, ostensibly, these weapons are being uh, shipped west to the the Renault homeland, I guess. Uh, and on the way, they're just going to be diverted to the, the, the Rebellion Caves. Yep. Um, and uh, sort of on our way to that, uh, we find out that Vin doesn't hate the nobility is interesting um considering her whole life but you know right that's a bit of an attitude change yeah uh and also the fact that she you know kelsier is like hey we're we're going to the caves to visit the uh the troops and vin assumes that we includes her and 
argues against going with him. Right. It's like, but I want to see Ellen. There's a ball, <laughs> and I'm having lunch. God, you can't do this to me. Yeah. Uh, but in fact, it is just going to be uh, Yeadon and Kelsier heading up to uh, to the caves. Uh, and Ham, who has been there training them, is going to be coming back. So they're doing just a, a rotation there. And uh, Kelsier, uh, his task today for Vin is to uh, to chat with Marsh today because Marsh is is stopping by. Uh, and can teach Vin a thing or two about bronze. So that will be on the agenda today. Caleb's short straw medal. I will, you know, we'll get into the discussion, but um, I, yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, Marsh turned me around on bronze quite a bit this chapter. I, I think we can get into the details, but uh, there's there's some cool details in here. I think that, y- I, I don't remember exactly, but I think your opinion is kind of matches what mine was when I read this the first time uh, in that, I really liked this uh, this conversation they have and the way that Marsh explains things and, and the insights that we get on bronze. And I think that Brandon fully knew what the sort of general opinion about bronze would be and had Kelsier share it. That's uh, true. When he's telling Vin that she's going to go practice with him, he says, bronze is one of the less useful metals, but Marsh claims he can show you a few tricks, which is just so dismissive. Right. Which is an attitude mm-hmm. Vin then carries into the lesson that Marsh promptly stops on. Right. Marsh is one of the most useless members of our crew, but you can go talk to him, Vin. <laughs> Before we get to the actual conversation with Marsh, uh, Vin is is observing uh, the Sky who are working here, and she notices a couple things. Uh, one, uh, as she puts it, uh, the rebellion's momentum isn't gathering. Kelsier's is. Uh, apparently, he's quite the popular rumor among the uh, the the ska that she sees here. He's an exciting guy, killing all the people and stuff. Once again, I do really love the kind of parallels being written between Kelsier and Lord Ruler here, because Vin wonders. I wonder if he'll be able to let it go when this is all mm-hmm. through. Um, that's a big question there and yeah the question of once you save the day do you let it go to your head or do you uh you know stay stay true to who you used to be um and you know we've talked a lot about kelsier's morality and how good of a person he is vin and Sezed believe that he is quote unquote a good man um but the question is is that enough because you look at all of these epigraphs and we don't get a ton of insight into his personality, but you could make the argument that maybe the Lord Ruler also used to be, quote-unquote, a good man and has now become what he is now. Yeah, there's definitely a difference between the impression that we get from reading those snippets and what we know of the the tyrannical leader that is now. Yeah. Also, another note before we get to the, the conversation with Marsh, uh, he's late because he's Kelsier's brother. <laughs> He was late to the first meeting when he showed up too, now that I think about mm-hmm. it. Like, they're just constantly yeah. always late. <laughs> yeah, the both of them are always late to everything. It's great. It's hereditary. So then we, we get to the uh, the bronze tutorial for today. Uh, and Marsh is an interesting teacher uh, in that he's he's very terse at first. Uh, he The impression that he gives is very harsh. Uh, but as we see, he's also quite knowledgeable about Allomancy and really gets to dig into the details. In a very academic way. I love mm-hmm. it. It's pretty great. Vin, before you know, he arrives to being late on the balcony, um, 
reveals she now thinks of the landscape as barren, whereas before she kind of didn't think about it. And also, we get a lot of, like, maybe we're wrong. Maybe they deserve all this. Um, we get from Vin here, who uh, says the Lord Ruler has claimed to the land because uh, he defeated the deepness. It's not really how it works. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. There's some some interesting kind of doctrine that we're learning, and uh, apparently it's fairly persuasive because even this far in, I, it's probably been a year or so at this point, uh, it's still something that Vin considers. Before we get into the bronze lesson, there's also a very brief little kind of bitchy moment where <laughs> uh, Marsh is like expecting a response to something he said. Vin is simply nodded and is just now staring at him thinking you're not the only one who can be terse friend, mm -hmm. which I love. She's she's coming out of her shell and being more of a bitch and good for her. <laughs> it's like the first minute of this conversation, the two of them are competing to see who can say less. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Marsh starts talking about the the things that he knows about bronze, uh, and from Kelsier's tutorial way back in the the early chapters, uh, we learned that there was a, a a pulsing sensation that you could you could feel when someone was using allomancy, uh, and Marsh says that if you if you study well enough, you can actually tell a fairly shocking amount of detail from the way that it it feels. Uh, you can tell which direction it's coming from, which which Vin can do. She can differentiate between uh, a pulse that's coming from Marsh and one that's coming from Kelsier downstairs. She can tell that there's there's a difference between the two pulses. And you can tell the difference between a pull and a push. If you're very good, you can differentiate uh, how long each of the pulses are uh, and, and a lot of detail that can actually tell you the exact metal. Didn't you also mention that... Um... You know, copper suppresses emotional manipulation, but bronze can tell you what emotions are being suppressed? Or am I misremembering? Uh, I think he's saying that if you have your copper on, then they can't manipulate your emotions. Uh, but if you don't have your copper on and you're you're using bronze instead, then, yeah, he says if you're very, very good, you can actually tell something as subtle as what are they trying to soothe or riot. It's pretty cool. Yeah. No longer the short straw. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of the moment that that really turned me around. Um, and I don't know if we're going to get a whole chapter with clubs being like, well, here's all the cool stuff about uh, copper. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, with all the little like little details you can pick up if you've if you've uh, practiced and you're all versed in it. Um, I might flip it and say actually copper might be the the kind of weakest link here. It's still very helpful, clearly, in terms of like if you're planning a rebellion with a bunch of mistings in it. Um, but if it's just kind of, yeah, you turn it on and you're good and you turn it off and you're not good. Um, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of the most, knowing how detailed bronze can get now, now copper just seems kind of like the the most boring one out of all eight of them. Right, the most straightforward one. Yeah. How about this? Copper is like potatoes. You need it in most recipes, but you you know, it's not tasty on its own. Um but it's kind of like a a a starting point for Mistborn. I I disagree with almost every single thing you've just said about potatoes, but I do see where you're going with that. <laughs> I mean, you you just going to bite a raw potato? 
I, I mean, not raw, but like I mashed potatoes. Obviously, you put stuff in the mashed potatoes as well. But like mashed potatoes are good. Baked potatoes right, are like, good. Like, like when like the potato is the salt, main things thing that make things tasty. No, I I think I think baked potato even without butter and salt and pepper and everything still tastes decent. Also, I take issue with the notion that quote unquote most recipes require potatoes. Well, okay. I, my point is like it's a staple food. Like it's a it's like a a base level kind of thing. Whereas bronze has more like specific I haven't thought through this metaphor, okay? I didn't even type it into my notes, but I'm saying <laughs> That is the best kind of metaphor. No, it's a perfect metaphor because allomancy is a gun, and if the bronze is <laughs> copper's potatoes, then we now have a potato gun. We have a potato it's gun. <laughs> we did it. Yes, exactly. Perfect. All right then. So, what else do we learn here? Um, I think I've mentioned the um, the way that metals get categorized, Caleb. I think. You talked about this as well when we learned the the original set, um, when when Kelsier went over pulling versus pushing, internal versus external, physical versus mental, uh, and and Marsh explains that bronze is actually the way that a lot of that was was drawn up, uh, in that it's not exactly intuitive to say you know which between copper and bronze, which one is a push and which one's a pull. But if you if you know the patterns and how the, the pulses work, then then that's your answer. You can now track allomancy in an Excel file. Uh, you definitely because could. we now have allomancy as grid. Mm-hmm. There's physical, internal, mental, external, all that. And if you have someone as skilled as Marsh with you, he can make the Excel spreadsheet look really nice too. <laughs> I think I have literally seen Alamancy as grid before, even oh, yeah. in like appendices or in copper mind. Yeah, no, I think the uh the there there's a section at the back of uh of this book that we won't flip to because it I think it's mostly spoiler free, but it's not it not perfect system where they they go over the metals and a kind of glossary. Uh it looks like this printing actually does have um the the elementic chart as it is known at this point in world um but the the later books the the later era especially um has a, a more detailed chart one interaction during this discussion that i really like is uh, marsh is kind of coaching vin through all of the different things that that she could be observing uh and asks her to to find if she can tell the, the pulse lengths apart and she tries really hard and can't do it uh, and Marsh just says, good, it took me six months to figure that out. And if you did it on the first try, I would have felt awful. <laughs> it's really our first indication that Marsh has kind of a sense of humor um, mm-hmm. of like being being willing to admit that he would have been embarrassed about this, I think is, is a really fun moment. So as they keep conversing, uh, Vin decides that emotionally manipulating her friends is a good idea. Uh, <laughs> and tries to learn in all the right lessons from kelsier yep probably from breeze on this one (laughs) yeah that's breeze actually yeah yeah uh so so she's trying to uh to get him talking uh write him a little bit uh and he does he's he's talking about what it was like growing up with kelsier learning to be an alamancer and uh we we learn about what 
what got Marsh here. The obligators who captured uh, their mother uh, was they they took her off presumably to kill her, and that was when Marsh vowed uh, that that this was going to be his mission. Uh, and then in the middle of this train of thought, are you soothing me? And are you soothing me? And then Vin's first thought is, run! Yeah, she hacked up here. And then he's just like, you are good. Stop it. I think this would be a, a cool interaction to see two talented actors perform. I just think it's a, a good bit of, of character from both of them. Yeah, I love how that line is formatted just no comma or well there's one comma anyway i love how this line is formatted there's just a comma at the end of a run-on sentence and are you soothing me Mm -hmm. it's very funny but then even after this moment where he scolds her they keep having this conversation Mm -hmm. and it's it's slightly a slightly different tangent but they're still just talking and, and revealing parts of their backstory essentially and it's it's it is really sweet yeah there's another moment where marsh double checks like are you pushing my emotions again and vince says no i promise Mm -hmm. um and marsh is like huh well anyways i guess i'll keep talking now yeah yeah just kind of this moment of vulnerability between the two of them is really cool i feel like marsh has probably dealt with breeze often enough that he knows (laughs) he can't get too upset about this um but uh it's for the better because i agree it's this is a very very fun conversation i would like to amend i concluded my previous thought by saying it's very sweet uh vin does talk about her how her mom went crazy and killed her baby sister so i would like to amend that word into good dialogue (laughs) i will not amend my uh conclusion of my thoughts saying that this is a fun conversation (laughs) good to know yeah, we, we segue from Marsh talking about uh, his relationship with his brother and his parents to he, he wants to know, you know, were you close to your brother? And she says, I hated him. And, uh, and, and so we learn how a couple of things went down, uh, including that I think we knew, I think Vin had mentioned that her, her mother was not um, mentally stable but we learn exactly or or at least what Vin remembers or what Reen told her, uh, which is that Reen came home one day to find that Vin's mother had murdered her baby sister uh, and was proclaiming Vin to be a queen. And they got the fuck out of there and that she's been on the run ever since. Yeah, that's that's pretty messed up. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a specific character in Attack on Titan who has a similar vibe of, like, a child being told you're a queen, um, in the middle of a very sketchy situation. Um, that, that kind of reminded me of this. Uh, part of me wonders if that's going to end up being important. Um, I've, I've mentioned, and I haven't given too much credence to the theory yet, but I've mentioned the idea that maybe Vin is going to be the one to actually fulfill the prophecy that the lord ruler was supposed to fulfill um i haven't talked about the theory too much but you know if clearly in the moment yeah getting out of there was a good idea but i also wonder if you know the the insane ramblings of her mom actually will end up having some sort of meaning uh in the end they do tend to when characters have insane ramblings (laughs) still fucked up if true yeah yeah 
and then we learn uh, one other bit of character info before we exit this chapter uh when marsh is thinking about how kel has changed since the pits uh he says that her her death changed him uh and vin reads into this that uh marsh is is a little more upset about mare's death than you would expect for for just a sister-in-law and so that's that's the big thing that's one of the things that that bothered marsh so much about kelsier is that yeah it's it's not just that that kelsier is the one who everyone loved it's kelsier is the one who mare loved that's going to be the end of these two hanging out and so that's what we get to kind of linger on as we go I know I don't get points for it because I didn't say it out loud, but I did have my suspicions that the kind of that kind of love triangle dynamic might have been a part of things. Specifically, the line of "I kind of wish Mare had survived instead of you." Again, is a pretty mm-hmm. messed up thing to tell your brother, especially if, as Marsh and Kel both insist, they don't actually hate each other. They don't get along, but they do not hate each other. Um, so the fact that you would say something like that to someone who is your brother and who you say you don't hate um you know it it, it made me think that perhaps this is kind of what was going on i'm gonna edit it there's not gonna be i know i know i know (laughs) thankfully we'll have editing so uh what i really thought was uh, it's a weird part of the plan in general and i don't get why they're so optimistic about it um marsh says once again that the intel he gains is going to help the rebellion for centuries and I'm just reminded of, like, infiltrating the military. And in their training, they say, hey, here's how to overthrow the government. Just for your reference. Just so you know. Just don't do it. And, you know, but that's... Here's the hole in the bulletproof vest. Make sure that they don't shoot you here. Yeah, what exactly is he searching to learn here? I think it has been briefly mentioned that specifically some of the intel he's hoping to find out is more about the steel inquisitors who it seems like even kelsier is thinks they're pretty much unkillable unless there is you know a secret hole in the bulletproof vest um and if that's the case if there is some weakness that can actually take them down then like when he says the intel could help us for centuries i i could believe that if the steel inquisitors are things that have been around for centuries and we've never been able to defeat them before and then he can find out some useful bit of information i agree it is hopeful sam to to think that marsh will spend like a couple months here and then find out the big super uh important secret um but if he does manage to find the secret i understand why he thinks yeah that's even more valuable than whatever dumb heist is happening um (laughs) And yeah, the thing, the mention of like, they'll help us for centuries. Once more, you kind of have a character and all the characters have felt this to some degree who just kind of go in assuming, yeah, this probably isn't going to work. Which is just such an interesting mindset to have for your heist story. Um, It's not particularly like uplifting, um, but it, you know, it, it goes to show just how insane the plan really is and how the characters are aware of that. Yeah, the only person who's like consistently positive about the plan is Kelsier, and even he has doubts from time to time. And he's also acknowledged in universe to be just completely ludicrous about this. Yeah, and hopping back a little bit to the 
actual intel that Marsh could gain, even if they're not like, here's the whole of the bulletproof vest. So like, we know hardly anything about the Inquisitors. Like, do they sleep? Where, like, maybe, where do they sleep? Maybe we could attack there. Just like, even if they're not like, attack the weak point for massive damage. <laughs> I think there's plenty to be gained. Well, we know at least one of them sleeps in that shack in the middle of the of Credit Shaw. That's just his little house now. <laughs> I mean, that would definitely be a way for him to be there. No, he has like a one of those echo cameras. So he saw Kelsier coming and was like, oh, he's got to be at the front door in a few seconds and, and, oh, and got, got ready for it. Slightly later, a couple paragraphs, um, Marsh says, if rumors got out that a man with scars on his arms is staying with Lord Renault, I'm so mad. <laughs> Because surely it's too goddamn late for that. First of all, we know now that Ska gossip like chatty Cathy's. Um, oh, yeah. This info's going everywhere. Yeah, but not even just the Ska. Like, they have spies from the great houses who are there specifically to gather intel. And Kelsier doesn't go in with the disguise. I don't know. Maybe they don't... I don't know if they, like, published his face in the newspapers that may or may not exist in this universe, but um, people are recognizing him. Uh, and if Kelsier pretends to be a distant relative, um, that's great, but people are still recognizing him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, hey, look, it's it's Lord Renault's distant relative, Kelsier. Right. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, there's an interesting line, again, another line he has to walk of like, getting the rumors to spread among the Ska without letting it spread too much among the nobility. And, you know, it kind of harkens back to the the conversation with Lord Venture of like, why are you surprised that Lord Venture is asking about the survivor of Hathson when you've made it kind of your goal to like spread the reputation that you're around stirring up shit? Granted, you're only trying to spread those rumors among the Ska, but like, it shouldn't be that shocking that word has spread beyond that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I feel like, you know, Kelsier is a multi-talented man, but I think sometimes he doesn't quite understand how like society as a whole works because he just has his own view of how things should work and how, oh, this will definitely happen when I do this. Um, and maybe is kind of underestimating just how certain things function, how certain rumors get around and things like that. Yeah, we'll see if, if Kelsier can manage to actually keep control on what he's apparently started here. Moving then to chapter 21, uh, our epigraph here, uh, it's been a bit since we've had this. We have a snippet of the actual prophecies uh, that the um, that the writer had heard of. Uh, we learned that the hero of ages shall not be a man, but a force. Uh, no nation may claim him, no woman shall keep him, and no king may slay him. He shall belong to none, not even himself prophecies aren't they great <laughs> so as we open the chapter itself uh, this is finally 100 percent confirmation uh, the book that vin and says had found during the ill-fated attack is in fact things that we've been reading before every chapter and now kelsier gets to read them too and we get to read them more in full and we get mm -hmm. very you know, I don't know how much it ends up mattering, but we get slight confirmation that, yeah, a couple of these were out of order. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Or there were bits left out, at least. There were bits left out. I'm pretty sure there's at least one point that is that is that um, got shuffled a little bit. 
Um, and yeah, I also just really am happy that Kelsier cares about the book because like when Seiza was looking at it and was like, oh, I was really hoping it would be a religious check text, but it's just kind of this journal. Um, you know, people requested copies, but no one really like got super excited about it. And so to see Kelsier like really looking through it and giving it thought makes me more satisfied that they're like, this is the journal of the Lord ruler, guys. This is really interesting. So this is uh, this is Kelsier's uh, reading material as he is is journeying up to the caves. Uh, and Kelsier doesn't quite know what to uh, to make of it. Uh, he's fascinated by it, uh, but he also sees what we see of there's a bit of a, a a discrepancy between what we know of the Lord Ruler, the 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 tyrant who rules now and the the person writing this book yeah um i uh also i casted a landscape for this little trip that they're on where are they traveling um so i'm picturing just because of the description of like the the river and all that um although it'd probably be a lot less green i'm picturing the uh the landscape that tom waits is in in the mother mccree um section of the ballad of buster scruggs uh You've helpfully provided an image for us. Yep, kind of like that. Look at look at that, listeners. Look at that image that, that he just sent in the Discord. Well, you can, you know, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's on Netflix. It's a great little movie. Coen Brothers, can't go wrong. But, uh, yeah, Tom Waits is in this little valley with the river running through it. And I'm betting it would be a lot more brown. I was going to say, you just need setting. to take this into Photoshop and crank the, that saturation all the way down. Pretty much. Ash everywhere. But yeah, that's my my landscape casting. There is talking about uh, adaptations and and visuals and whatnot. Uh, there is one advantage of uh, adapting Mistborn, which is that aside from things like the the sky and it being brown and dirty everywhere, it does look like Earth. So you can you can find a a cool landscape and film there, and if slash when they ever do stormlight that will be a lot more difficult <laughs> so they arrive at the caves uh, and kelsier puts on a bit of a show because partially just because that's the way he is but also this is more of that of that delicate dance of make people talk at least about the right things and then we meet captain demo and uh off they go to to meet up with ham and the troops 240 of them yeah decent crew who showed up yeah there's a scene when they arrive that i i like that that brandon put this scene in uh they they get to the the hidden caves uh and the entrance is just this jagged crack in the ground uh and kelsier needs to take a moment because he spent a good portion of his life nearly dying in these cracks in the ground in the pits and he has to to gather himself and and realize that this isn't that, and he can go in and he can leave, uh, but that's that's what he's got to do. And then, because this is part of the plan, apparently, there's also a a show element of it of he needs to be visibly seen getting over this this resistance. But it is a thing that he has to work through, and I I like that that was included. Yeah, I think having this be very Kelsey point of view is very advantageous because, yeah, you get the first couple of 
paragraphs where you're like, oh yeah, this would remind him of like, you know, his past trauma. And then there is a line of let me, let them see my weakness and let them see me overcome it. And you're like, oh, he's just doing it for show. And then you get a couple more paragraphs who are like, no, this is a legit thing he is working through and having to process yeah. and deal with. But he just also is able to like multitask with the back of his mind, knowing that, oh, this is also good optics. Um, kind of shows you how many layers Kelsier's brain is operating on. Um, and we also get confirmation of the actual specific way uh, that he got the scars on his arm, which is that he is searching for adium geodes and he has to reach through a bunch of really sharp crystals to try and look for them is not that's that's i don't like that yeah i don't love it i've never gone caving i'm never gonna go caving but uh I, i've read enough creepy pasta about caving and heard about <laughs> the nutty putty cave to not want to picture this him creeping into a hole in the ground yeah not not a good experience no claustrophobic spooky tight Fortunately, this particular cave, once they get through the entrance, uh, is a, a pretty nice place. There's a, a sizable cavern under there, uh, although there's a, a, a bit of quipping because Ham is there to meet them. And, and Kelsier says it's a hell of an entryway, and Ham says, well, you should see the bathroom. <laughs> so I don't know if we want to see the bathroom. What we do see, though, is, uh, like you mentioned, 240 soldiers have arrived uh, and they are going to be staying and training in this this large cave complex. I do love that this chapter then proceeds to just become a scene from the West Wing in which Kelsier and Ham are just walking and talking for pretty much the entire time. <laughs> and I'm just imagining the camera backing up the entire time, ha tracking this entire conversation. It's a good old walk and talk. Would they be doing this dialogue at full Sorkin speed? I feel like... I don't know, because Ham is like... Once Ham gets into it, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I also feel like Ham is like the kind of... He's kind of a slow philosophical thinker as opposed to like the the quick-witted, like, gotta get out my dog as quick as possible. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's kind of a mixture of both. So you're saying we shouldn't cast Martin Sheen and Rob Lowe as Kelsey and Ham, respectively? Just for this one scene, we should. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's back to Dana Radcliffe and Charles Willingham. Nope. <laughs> He's a master of disguise, that Kelsier. That's true. I do love the story of Sorkin turning in the first script to the social network mm -hmm. and the producers saying it's too long, it's got to be under two hours, and him sitting down with a stopwatch and just reading the entire script in exactly two hours. Yeah, that sounds like Sorkin. And then saying, this is how fast they will speak. <laughs> Make the movie. And it was. And it was. So yeah, the, the tour continues. Uh, we see the, the entrances. We see the guard protocols, all that. Uh, and as we walk and talk, we have... Let's, let's see what, what Ham has been thinking about. Hmm. So there's a couple things that are, that are on his mind. Uh, the first of it is how is it actually going to how's the fight going to go because ham says the, the progress is is all right they're you know they're training up they're getting more men but still they're going to be fighting trained soldiers and and will they be able to do it uh, and kelsier has some reassurance that you know the the pits don't actually have that big of a guard because they're they're so secret so they can they can overwhelm whatever force is there uh, and then the the follow up question of what happens when they do have to fight the rest of the army is is not really 
delved into perhaps as much as it should be. Uh, but hopefully we figure something out by the time we get to that. Yep. We also get to see that um, a lot of the guards on patrol are not really paying attention to anyone who might be looking for the entrance. Um, they're there to make sure people don't get out, um, which is an understandable precaution when you're planning a rebellion and you don't want like any spies to come in and then report back. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's also kind of getting into kind of a morally gray area of like, oh, yeah, I'm joining the rebellion. It's so cool. Oh, I'm not allowed to leave ever. Yeah. Um, is 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 its own kind of brand of, of it's a little sketchy. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> uh, it's interesting that the general still thinks that they're going to get slaughtered. Everybody has doubts about this. Everybody at every level. Right. Except apparently Yeadon. Apparently Yeadon is now fully bought in. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any theories about this, but Yeadon's acting weird this chapter, and I I kind of don't like it. <laughs> he's just gotten here, and he's like, oh, hell yeah, Rebellion's on board. Oh, everything's so cool. Oh, I get to lead the army? Oh, this is going to be so cool. And <laughs> it's just such a change of pace from what we've seen of him so far. It's just kind of odd. Um, Yeadon's bad attitude has been fully solved. Yeah, there you go. One item from the checklist is dead. Check one off the list, <laughs> yeah. Check it off. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just really interesting that, like, we haven't really checked in on Yeadon, and now all of a sudden he's just all on board. He's, like, actually legitimately excited about the Rebellion. Um, it's just, I, yeah, it's just kind of odd. The script has fully flipped. There's a, uh, somewhat unfortunate for, for Kelsier, uh, Ham mentions the, the beauty of the, of the caves, which can look quite, quite fascinating, uh, but... That's one thing that Kelsier is, is not going to be able to get over, he, he doesn't think, is it's never going to be beautiful for him. Uh, and we learn how, uh, what happened the night he escaped and how Mare died, which is that apparently the way that the pits work is that every prisoner has to find one ATM geode a week. Uh, and if they don't find one, they are immediately killed. And the final week, uh, Kelsier hadn't managed to find one, uh, and Mare said that she had found two and gave him one to turn in. Uh, and apparently that was not true, and that was her only one, and so the guards killed her. And that night, many men had died. And he wonders if it's uh, she gave it out of love or guilt. Yeah. And... It seems like there's only one person who could really answer that question, and she didn't make it. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's pretty rough, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is also interesting because we have seen we haven't really heard about what the pits are like very much, obviously, and we know Kelsier and Mayor both got sent to the pits, and it was unclear if they had like regular contact with each other. It seems like they did. And so I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, did they talk about, hey, did you betray me or not? And I'm assuming Mayor, I don't, I don't know what Mayor said. I don't, I don't know if Mayor denied it or what. Um, you know, if she did, if it's not sure if it was out of love or guilt, then like clearly the issue wasn't resolved. Um, but I would still at least love to hear her side of the story and see if there's any insight. Um, and maybe we'll get another flashback later on. Um, but yeah, it's just an interesting note to know that, yeah, they had to 
go through this together, um, even after the awkwardness is putting it lightly, um, the awkwardness of Mare presumably betraying Kelsier and getting right. him sent here in the first place. Right. And then we go right from that into uh, Ham has some more questions. And, and this is an interesting one. Uh, this is actually a question, uh, Sam, that you asked me in, I think, our first episode. Yeah. Um, was the, the description, it was probably in the prologue because we, we see from a, a noble's perspective and the way that they talk about the ska. This is, and I, I mentioned that this is a question that exists in world, and, and this is what Ham has heard and what he's thinking about is uh, the, the teachings, the, the doctrine says that ska and nobility are fundamentally different, uh, that uh, ska families have more children, uh, they're, they're physically smaller, um, they, they don't eat as much, and and Kelsier talks about this of, you know, the them being smaller can can definitely just be nutrition. Uh, there's there's cultural factors that influence family size and all that, but and 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 then the big one, of course, is allomancy. Is nobility, the, the nobles have allomancy and the Scott don't until they have uh, until there are are half breed kids. So th- this is and and. When it comes down to it, Ham says he doesn't actually buy in with the the ministry rhetoric, but it's something that's on his mind, and and that concerns Kelsier. It's just weird to me how the even the crew are not like fully deprogrammed, you know. I mean, him asking like, "What if the noblemen are right to rule over us?" is so out of left field. What are you doing here? It actually does kind of have the through line of one of the very first questions Ham ever asks to Vin, I think, is him asking like, hey, if the Lord Ruler is God, is it kind of, is it morally wrong for us to be doing this? And I don't think he necessarily believes that, but he just really is kind of into like thinking about things in this way and having these thought experiments. And I think part of it is probably, yeah, being, you know, when you're raised in a society, you kind of have to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. Um, so there probably is residual elements there. Um, but also I think this is still kind of just him really, really just asking the questions that he's, he doesn't really know what the answer is and he's still on board with the rebellion. Um, but he's just curious, um, about it. And I think it's, it's honestly kind of Kelsier getting more offended and upset at the notion of it, um, than Ham actually buying into it necessarily. Mm. Plus, I think it rings really true for Brandon to outline these kind of this kind of programming. I think someone said yeah. this society has existed and operated this way and been propagandized this way for thousands of years. And so, as much as you know, we love our ragtag team of underdogs fighting against the system, they all buy into it in some way or another and are fighting against their own biases at the same time which just I think amps the stakes up because it feels even more impossible when all of your heroes are like yeah this is fucking impossible right and then uh, taking us to the close of the chapter is a scene that has a lot going on and some really tricky implications yeah we we start with with Kelsier asking Ham 
Uh, is there anyone here who has given you problems with with buying into to this, with uh, vo- vocally doubting you and all that? Uh, and Ham points someone out. It's a guy named Bilg. He's a uh, he's a a big guy, kind of burly, uh, and he's been apparently uh, not outwardly insubordinate, but has been muttering about what are they doing here, what like what chance do they have, which are questions we were just discussing. And Kelsier goes to to give up one of his speeches. We've seen something like this with the recruiting, and and now he's trying to motivate the troops. Uh, and he's also Breeze can say what he wants. This is as close as you get to Kelsier elementically forcing Bill to to stand up and say something about this. Mm-hmm. And then Kelsier just kind of railroads this all through of Bill, if you have a problem with this, let's let's have a duel for for the honor of this rebellion. It's gonna be you against someone I pick. How about Captain Demo, who I met earlier? Yeah, guy I met ten minutes ago. He seems good. Yeah, uh, a guy who Kelsier noted looked quite young to to hold a rank, uh, and they're going to duel, and Kelsier cheats. He he sits there alongside. He sees that that Demo is quite clearly uh, significantly overmatched in this fight, and he uses uh, iron and steel kind of constantly throughout. Uh, to to trip Bilg up to to help Demo escape, help him fight back, and it ends with because of this interference, uh, Demo is able to to land a blow and and knock Bilg down, uh, and Kelsier before he he stops himself wants to kill him by Demo's hand, and I I say stops himself he. Demo stops it and gives Kelsier enough time to to reconsider. Yeah, big props to Demo here for for I don't think Demo realizes it, but like feeling a magical force basically influences moves, and at the last second he pulls back on the on the the influence. Um, uh, good good for him. I like Demo. <laughs> yeah, ignoring the ethical implications of this whole thing for just one moment, which I'm sure we're about to get into. It's really cool. I really love this sort of subtle use of alamancy to fight through someone else and just thinking about how fast Kelsier's brain has to be moving to manipulate the fight this way is very neat from a cool magic perspective. <laughs> yeah, and knowing how iron and steel works of having to be in like a straight line, I can just imagine Kelsier like pacing around the arena trying to get a good angle yeah. to make sure that his, his powers work accurately. And now let's go back to that ethical question. What the yeah, fuck, Kelsey? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this, the moment of this man should die, he thought angrily, I think is the most evil moment we have seen from Kelsier. And I would classify it as an evil thought. He flared this guy's emotions and like had to put work into it. He was, he was burning for a while. And I think it said he flared at one point, um, uh, flared his medals just to get Bilk to stand up and say something. And then is like, oh, this man deserves death because of that thing I forced him to do. Um, is such, you know, you see Kelsier kind of getting lost in his own sauce a little bit here. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like really, he, he, you see him buy into his own bullshit, um, which I think is a very um, 
ominous sign for what he could be capable of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, he would have way overshot his mark if he had actually killed Bilg. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, oh, that officer just killed a guy. How are they different from the people who are oppressing us? Mm-hmm. And then following up the fight, uh, you have Kelsier standing up and, and concluding his, his big speech, uh, showing off the, the 11th medal. He's, he says he's going to, to use it to kill the Lord Ruler, uh, and then says some stuff about Allomancy that we know from what we've learned is complete fiction. Yeah, just some lies for the troops. That's always good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then capping this all off as uh, as everything is, is kind of breaking up again, uh, Ham comes up to him and, and says, you just lied to my entire army. And he says, no, I lied to my army. So this is this is not a good place for us to be here. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Nah, Ham is pissed. <laughs> we also get the moment where Ham tries to have the conversation and then, of course, Yedin pops up as like, that was the hypest shit I've ever seen. That was awesome. Um, and then a moment I can very much see Travis Willingham doing of he laid a hand on Yedin's shoulder, pushing the man back into his seat. Eat, he ordered. Then he turned back to Kelsier. Um, just kind of like, shut up, man. I have my own conversation to do. Um, and yeah, as someone who really likes Ham, uh, don't love how this chapter ended. I mean, I love it from a plot standpoint. It's fascinating, but like from a emotionally invested in these people, I don't like it. It makes me feel bad things. Yeah, there's a very brief moment where Kelsier notes, sometimes we need to do things that we find distasteful, Ham, without ever really getting further into that. So even Kelsier doesn't really like what just happened, even though he's the one who did the whole thing. It's also like... He says sometimes we have to do something as disrespectful. No, you didn't have to kill the guy, as shown by the fact that you didn't end up killing the guy, even though that was your plan. That was the distasteful thing that you were planning was not actually necessary. Um, this is this is kind of the the yeah this is kind of the darkest we've seen Kelsier, I think, um, and it doesn't bode particularly well when he proceeds to be like. Oh, and by the way, thinks to himself, by the way, Ham, there's a whole other layer here you don't know about. Um, and sorry, can't tell you. Um, is is knowing that the, the our episode reading ended there was very frustrating because I, I was like, I need to figure out more. Poor Ham. Poor, poor Ham. And then, yeah, we wrap up with, with Kelsier thinking and, and telling us, the readers, that uh, there are plots behind plots, plans beyond plans, and there was always another secret. So hopefully we can get some explanation from Kel, because this is not a good look, and he's got some explaining to do. But uh, that's where we're wrapping up our chapters for this episode. There's always another podcast. Hey, that's the name of the show. It sure is. Thanks, Beth. You're welcome. Also, in my notes, I just have, quote-unquote, my army from the line when he mentions lying to my army, and then written mm -hmm. next to it, fuck right off, don't talk to Travis that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, we've had uh, we've had some traveling uh, and some, some new places that we've visited in these couple of chapters. Uh, so, we've had some new characters show up. 
So uh, we can go on to our, our usual next discussion of who is going to play these people on screen. Yeah. Um, I'll go first because, haha. <laughs> there you go. I, I like the declaration. Shit, man, you got me. <laughs> That's so out of order from how we usually go. I'm shook. So first, let's confirm a casting. Uh, okay. is Anthony Starr. Which was your re-recast, but you, you've, yep. you've settled on this one this time? I'm confirming that, and I'm honestly picturing him just as Homelander. Yeah, this, uh, this chapter here... He did give here, off some Homelander vibes this chapter, yeah. Yeah, it's something. So for Hoyd, I've got uh, Warwick Davis. That's kind of a pin. I don't really know what Hoyd looks like yet, uh, and... You know, uh, apparently I'll find out more eventually. But for now, Warwick Davis is my pin for Hoyd. Um, Lord Straff Venture. I've got Wayne Pygram, who played uh, quite recently uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Mm, okay. So I kind of picture that. Yeah, okay, I see that. Um, for Captain Demo, I've got Lucas Hedges, um, who's kind of a, a younger actor. Um, a little scrawny, uh, which I kind of picture Demo as being. And, uh, and then for Bilg, uh, this is partially because they talked about the fact that Scar are kind of shorter. I picture Bilg as uh, John Silver from AEW. Uh, he's like kind of, he's not like short, short, but he's like somewhere in the five foot range. Um, big beard, kind of muscle bound. Um, but... I picture him as kind of having the stature of Ska. Okay. At least of of someone like Bilg, who is is notably you know strong and tough. Right. Yep. So those are my my four. I think that's all the live characters that we yeah. met, who are new. <laughs> so there you go. Before we get to to Caleb's list, I don't know what you do about casting. Hoyd here in particular because he is so different than what he normally looks like uh and this is uh like I didn't say it specifically but this is this is one of those characters who shows up in in multiple different Cosmere works um of of which there's there are a couple um and it's it's a kind of an open question that I have of um how much do you like it's it's quite often that someone will show up in a different book and they'll only be vaguely described or they they'll be under a different name or something but if the same actor was playing them that's a pretty significant giveaway um certain actors with a propensity for playing wildly different characters aside but still then they're they're in the credits so it's it's one of those questions where like do you just have different people play them when they show up you know looking differently so i i don't know Game of Thrones had a similar problem, actually, in that in the books, there's a character who's in King's Landing and then he gets fired from his job. And then there's kind of this mysterious figure who's vaguely described who shows up in Daenerys' storyline. And it's not until like 10 chapters in or something that you find out it's actually the same guy as before. Um, and in the show, they were just like, it's the same actor. It's that, it's that guy, you know, <laughs> right, and they, like, they right. couldn't do the fun reveal. They just had to kind of say it right away because it was the same actor. 
Yeah, I guess you would have to just sort of build up the off-screen mentions so that when you actually see the person, you still get a reveal. That's tricky, though. Yeah, that could work. (laughs) That uh, in this particular instance of Hoyt, it would be feel particularly hyped to be like, Kelsier is going to go see an informant soon. Aren't you guys so excited for Kelsier to go see this informant? Right. Well, and also there's the advantage of, I would have to imagine that Mistborn is going to happen first if an adaptation Mm -hmm. does happen. So you can do whatever you want because this is the first one. Mm -hmm. Though I guess it it is kind of fun that sort of just wham he's here now can also be fun fair yeah different but fun <laughs> well and and that's something that the the comparison does have to be made with the other major on-screen shared universe work um of what marvel did where especially early on you did have that big exciting moment of wait they're actually in this movie mm-hmm I don't even know about early on. That still happens like once a year in a Marvel movie of holy shit. (laughs) But like in the early days, it was like, like they could do that as a post credits scene. And that was all that you needed was like, oh, hey, Nick Fury is here. Yeah. Marvel does also sometimes just recycle character or recycle actors to be different characters. So we can just claim that's happening and just gaslight everyone. That could, that could also no, happen. No, you don't understand. Mahershala Ali is new this time because yeah. we did him dirty last time. To be fair, was Luke Cage in the MCU originally ever? Who knows? It's unclear. It's a gray anyway, area. that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> uh, what, what we are going to do is uh, ask Caleb who you have uh, come up with oh, yeah. for your, your choices. Um. So yeah, I didn't necessarily know about the like potential i don't know about literal shape-shifting but you know in terms of description and appearance being different um but i went with an actor who sort of has experience in 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 portraying uh appearances that are different from his actual face um i have andy circus as hoyd okay he's breeze oh i forgot you already have him as breeze yeah well i'm sticking with billy porter so i moved andy circus over to here I think that's actually our first disagreement where we've had one double actor, casting for different people yeah, in regard for different people. Yeah, I think this well. is the first conflict. But go ahead. I mean, it's your casting, man. You do you, as the kids say. Vitriol, I can hear hidden in that voice. You do you, Caleb. <laughs> You'll get your comeuppance eventually. Maybe Breeze is Hoyd, and that's one of the shape-shifting twists that Justin and Beth just haven't told us yet. No, Ooh, he's be... spreading rumors. <laughs> Justin, I can't believe he called it. All right, then. We'll, Anyways. We'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, for Straff Venture, I have um, someone who's not super famous, but still might be a button I'm hitting too early. Uh, I have Michael Stolbarg, who you may not know the name, but... He's just kind of that guy who's been in a lot of different stuff. And sometimes you see him and go, hey, it's that guy. And sometimes you see him and you go, I've never met this man before in my life. Um, He was in both Doctor Strange movies as the rival surgeon um, who (laughs) I think I actually had a conversation with Beth about this um, uh, after the movie of like, yeah, they got Michael Stolberg back to be at the wedding. And you were like, Oh, that was the same guy? I had no idea we've met that character before. (laughs) 
to me he just looks like a a, a larger faced Joaquin Phoenix. He does. He definitely does uh, uh, have the resemblance to Joaquin. Yeah, um, but he's a very good. He's he's one of those actors where pretty much everything he's been in that I've seen him in, I have enjoyed. Um, so he's just kind of for me specifically, he's just kind of like a good luck charm. Um, but uh, yeah, that's who I've got for that. All right. Uh, for General Demo, I have. Uh, I hope I pronounced the name right, and I meant to look it up, and I apologize, I didn't. Um, but Naji Jeter, um, who has not been in very many different things, but he is famous uh, for being Miles Morales in the uh, PS4 Spider-Man games. Okay. Um, I think he has a uh, his performance in those games is very good. Um, I think he brings that kind of you know he's got a youthful energy, of course. Um, but he also, you know, can feel very heroic and very, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I think he can play this role pretty well. And, you know, we get good vibes from him in this chapter on account of he did not kill Bill even when the magic was telling him to. Um, so, I don't know, I'm kind of hoping Demo becomes a, a, a more of a major player. Um, and I, I think seeing the face of Miles Morales that I'm familiar with would be kind of a fun, uh, fun way to take the character. He's definitely the the most notable character that we've met in this segment in the caves. So we'll we'll see what uh, what he gets up to, if anything. Yeah, and then I do also have a casting for Bilg. Um, okay. I have Olivier Richter's, um, who is famous for playing uh, journeyman boxer in the Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, uh, huge machine shack guard in the most recent Kingsman movie. Um, that is a and- large man. And Ursa Major in the Black Widow movie, uh, you may remember as the guy who arm wrestled David Harbour's character for 20 seconds and then left the movie uh, entirely. He's born for this role. <laughs> yeah. You went the opposite way in terms I of I was going to say, yeah, it's, Sam was, was going with, you know, Ham just talked about how Ska are, are often shorter. So let's get find a guy who's short but, but powerful. No, uh, I wanted and, a big and, boy. Yeah. <laughs> You want a big boy, you want a little boy. <laughs> that is a comically large person. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, I just got around to Googling it. Have you seen the picture of him in a plane seat? That sounds horrifying. I feel so bad for him. <laughs> god. Yeah. His head is scraping the ceiling of this plane. Have you seen the, the collection of photos of Shaq holding things? <laughs> Where it's just like Shaq holding a can of Pepsi, and it looks like it looks like somebody made a model can of Pepsi that's at like one third scale. It's also like Aaron Judge standing next to Jose Altuve. <laughs> people are weird, man. All right, we just uh, end the episode there. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> what with people are weird? Yeah, no theories this time. The end. I don't know. I think we're gonna have some good theories. Okay, let's theorize. We did. Um, we did see. Uh, a pretty strong confirmation last episode that the book that was found was contained the epigraphs, but now we've actually seen them on the page being read by our characters. So that's pretty cool. Sam, you had some questions uh, about how, what happened when, when Kelsier snapped. Uh, and we did learn a little bit about that though. Um, Kelsier obviously doesn't really want to, to go over the details of that too much. Let's see what else have we, thought about that was previously predicted i see caleb i see a note here that you were predicting that that vin was some sort of of chosen one uh and you mentioned when we were going through the the segments earlier that 
uh, her mother's proclamation of, of Vin being a queen seems like something that we want to pay attention to. Yeah, and I've got a little to expand upon that okay. um, once we get into it. Yeah, I think that's... Maybe there's some other stuff, but we'll, we'll I, see what... Uh... I, had a, I had a W this chapter oh. um, based on my... I don't know how serious Kelsier was about this plan, um, but one of my predictions was Vin would want to bring Elend in as an ally and Kelsier would want to kill uh, Elend. And that exact conversation happened in the span of about two paragraphs. That did happen, yes. So... We'll still have to see what uh, kind of fireworks this invites when some sort of bigger confrontation happens. It's at kind of an awkward uh, impasse now, but it is going to be a problem. Yeah, that conversation did end with Kelsier literally saying, we'll talk about this later, and then going to bed. <laughs> I should go. <laughs> yes. I have that mug right in front of me. <laughs> Mark Mir as Kelsier. <laughs> Send tweet. <laughs> honestly i could actually see <laughs> yeah actually a little bit all right um let's see shall we see what's uh what we can add to the list for uh predictions today sure let's sam you said sure first so you're volunteering to go first then sure um yeah i, I don't have as much this time but i've got a couple things i mean i really I, in terms of like obvious stuff most of it's obvious but not all of it um we can put it so down. first of all uh pretty obvious conjure are not allowed to exist for whatever reason maybe caleb was is kind of right in calling them shapeshifters um maybe they have a legal access to allomancy um not really sure yet but for for whatever reason the lord ruler wants to extirpate them from the world um and uh obligators can detect it so Okay, interesting. We shall see how that and works. And then that ties into um, the the original um, kind of questions about who was going to go to the parties and why Renu couldn't. Right. Yep, exactly. Let's see. Uh, apart from that, um, <laughs> my prediction is uh, Kelsier is going to betray people. He's going to go his own way, go his own way. He's going to call it another whatever. Is that Fleetwood Mac? I don't know Fleetwood Mac lyrics. I'm sorry. It, it sure is. But uh, it might just be because I'm uh, in my head. He was full on Homelander for this three chapter block, mm. just the whole way. I half expected him to like read a bit of the epigraph and then be like, whatever, and like throw it into the canal or something, like flippantly behind his shoulder. <laughs> anyway, um. And then my, my strongest conviction here, um, for which I bolded my expletive, um, people will fucking know that Kelsier is in Luthadel and associated with Renault. <laughs> As I already talked about, Ska have seen him and they're chatty Cathy's. Uh, and then house spies, like I said, whose job is to report, they're going to be like, hey, there's this guy who's got scars on his arms who comes to the house like every damn day Kelsier is associated with House Renault. yeah it seems like at this point he's just inviting uh, things getting getting put together there and the consequences thereof yeah it's there's something wrong here um, we'll we'll figure it out I, I guess see what happens 
Um, and then my, uh, you know how I have probably won't happen, but would be interesting. Mm-hmm. This is a definitely won't happen, but would be interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> Kelsier is the Lord Ruler's son. They've got the same kind of ego from the epigraphs. They're they're starting to talk similarly. In this definitely won't happen scenario, um, Kelsier was meant to survive the pits and allowed to escape so that he could build his legend. Um, people could see him for for who he is. Um, you know, only one inquisitor chased after him just to kind of shoo away and to create appearances that you know he was being shooed away, and that uh, just in general the Lord Ruler is kind of guiding him to be his replacement um, because he sees maybe that the nobles are starting to get restless. People like Ellen, you know, the next generation or whatever. So if you have regime change. You can make it look like mm. like there's a shift. Yeah, both of you had actually mentioned um, back in episode four of some variant of there's actually a, a connection between the Lord Ruler and, and Kelsier's plans and is there going to be some kind of, of collaboration or replacement there? So that's, uh, that's a, an interesting look. Yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of reminded me of like, you know, back in the the old days of Russia, when uh, Medvedev and Putin would just tag in, tag out, right? Maybe that'll be what's happening here. Uh, Kelsier is the Lord Ruler's Medvedev. No, it's it's totally not the same regime. See, I used to be Prime Minister, and now I'm President. And after that, I'll be Prime Minister again, and after that, I'll be President again. <laughs> Look, we just, we need to maintain the bald hairy theory, and that's really the only reason we're doing this this trade-off. Are you people aware of the bald hairy theory? I, I am. No. I'm not. It is the... I'll Google it later. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, no, it's a fun little tidbit. I don't know if theory okay. is the right word for it, but it's the observation that uh, the presidents of Russia seem to alternate between someone who is bald and someone who is hairy, and that has happened for, like, <laughs> decades uh, centuries. It has a Wikipedia. Is it centuries? And th they pull it all the way back to Tsar Nicholas the First in eighteen twenty-five. Incredible. And yeah, Putin and Medvedev constantly trading off has managed to maintain that uh, that uh, phenomenon. Do we know? We know Kelsier has hair. Do we know if the Lord Ruler has hair? We don't yet, but now I may need to recast someone who's bald so that we can maintain this. Who are we casting as Lord Ruler? Sight unseen. Luthadel is in fact uh, uh, the the entire empire is all just Russia. This is post apocalyptic, but Russia managed to survive. I mean, uh, Caleb already did cast the Lord Ruler sight unseen as Jeremy Irons, who it appears, at least from recent photos, still has hair. Right, but he could shave for the role. Oh, what was I about to say? Uh, what if this world is like Adventure Time? which canonically happens after the apocalypse. No. I believe, actually, uh, I'm going to completely interject between the two segments of predictions because I was going to talk about this. This was something that, that I had mentioned we were going to talk about. I want to give a, a large disclaimer that you may choose to believe as much as you want. This is not a response to any prediction that was made, if only partially because I was vaguely reminded of it. And this is not an attempt to influence your predictions in the future. Um, but one of the things that, that Brandon has publicly talked about is he has a, a kind of set of, of rules of uh, things that can't happen in the Cosmere. Uh, so don't bother like looking for it. 
Um, and actually one of them that I, I didn't mention in our, our text uh, chat is that the Earth is not in the Cosmere. Uh, and any book that he writes that's set on Earth or an alternate version of Earth, therefore, is not connected. Um, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that was not something that you had any way of knowing. But um, I think we did talk about that, and I, I was mostly joking. I don't yeah, think this no, is post-apocalyptic Earth. Um, the other rules, real quick, are um, this one he actually added recently. Uh, there are no um, multiverses or alternate universe versions of characters interacting with each other um there is no time travel uh parentheses into the past um which avoids any sort of loops and paradoxes and all that uh there's a couple ways to travel into the future including the actual real physics way of go really fast <laughs> and then the last one is uh as i i put it in our our chat no coming back from the dead asterisk um because the the caveats there are one there's the totally mundane answer of someone faked their death or someone was mistaken for dead or things like that and then the other caveat is that for characters who are very magically powerful dying is kind of like a a prolonged multi-step process behind the scenes and if enough magical shenanigans ensue that can be interrupted and messed with in in kind of weird ways and so you have you'll see in other books some variants of of characters who have kind of not quite died uh but the thing that brandon wanted to emphasize was there is a line in the sand where if a character if if a character passes that line is allowed to to die in that way we will not hear from them again. They will not be brought back to life much later. Those are kind of the, the ground rules. So hopefully that discussion hasn't uh, horribly wrecked Caleb's list. I, I... Now all of a sudden I have no theories for today. Uh, <laughs> they're all no. That was actually most of that, most of the information you had, you had briefly shared ahead of mm -hmm. time. And so I would have been able to adjust. But in either case, uh, not really anything uh, relevant to what I've got here. Um, not a lot of like specific theories this time, just kind of a lot of, here's some things I'm thinking about. Um, but kind of checking in on the Kelsier versus Lord Ruler thing, um, uh, looking specifically at the epigraph about that prophecy, um, it mentions a burden by which he is called hero, which sounds a lot like the myth about the survivor of Hathson and how he had this terrible burden, this terrible thing happened to him. But the fact that he survived it is kind of one of the reasons everyone is interested in seeing him as this big hero. Um, and um, uh, there's the mention of he belongs to no one, not even himself. Um, I just want to to point across the aisle and talk about, um, sounds a lot like kind of Sam's musings from last week of how maybe the Lord Ruler lost his sense of self in some way or became some kind of different person mm. because of what happened. Um, uh, seems like there's, there might be some connection there. Uh, but then also we have a couple of other details such as a bloodless connection to Kings, which to me sounds kind of vaguely like Vin going to a bunch of balls and not being literal royalty or nobility, but making a bunch of these different connections. Um, okay. and there's also a mention of, he's not a man, but a force. 
Um, there's the force element of it as well. Um, but, you know, I see that and I immediately think of Eowyn in Lord of the Rings, um, how I am no man. Um, so the idea that, you know... It's kind of hard to write a fantasy prophecy with the word man without inviting that comparison, I think. Right, right. Um, but it is there and it is brought up. There's the literal line, he is not a man. Um, so, you know, I could I could easily see there being the thing of, you know, Sezed looks back in the history and goes, well, actually, they keep translating it as he, but it's really a gender neutral pronoun. It could refer either way, which I think is actually also in Game of Thrones. Uh, anyways, um, you know, I think I think there could be the fun little fun little twist there. So the theory I have and I'm not believing it too strongly, not putting too many chips on it. But in this regard, um, I think what might happen is Kelsier is going to read through this whole journal and read all the prophecies and be like, okay, well, clearly the Lord Ruler didn't actually save the day. And I think Kelsier might read all this and think, maybe I'm the hero, and maybe I'm the person who's prophesied, and maybe this is who I'm supposed to be. And the second aspect of that theory is, I think he's wrong. I think Vin <laughs> is actually the person mm. who is uh, going to fulfill a bunch of these prophecies um, and kind of, you know... At this point, you know, we're halfway through this first book, so I'm starting to think a lot of these theories and plot lines are going to be delving into um, storylines in future books. Um, but um, I think there is space for Vin to uh, kind of take on a lot of the roles being talked about as well, um, of kind of people uniting under her and her kind of leading the way to defeat the, the deepness and the darkness. Um, yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's, that's where my thoughts are. I'm not going, you know... Again, this isn't the theory I believe strongest in, but I'm going to put that on the table. Okay. We, uh... I, I feel like we need to start quantifying percentage-wise how much you believe each of your theories. And this goes for both of you. I'm, I'm glancing back at Justin's notes and Sam, you have a 4% yes. theory that the Lord mm. Ruler killed the diary writer. <laughs> and then we can award podcast points proportionate to uh, percentage-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked the specificity of this is this is four percent likely to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, gotta throw out stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's important to be know. precise. <laughs> yeah, you gotta do gotta throw, throw, out, throw out, stuff. out stuff. So true, bestie. <laughs> gotta throw out stuff. You know what? Put that, frame that, hang it on my wall. <laughs> That's right. a podcast tis, tip from us to you, dear listeners. Throw away garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Sam. Your house. Don't leave it. Cl cleaning advice. So I do have other theories. I don't know if you guys want to hear them or. Uh... <laughs> I was just going to ask. We'll we'll continue on. Uh, yeah. Well, another thought I had was the discovery that um, Kelsier did not install the uh, uh, highway between Felis mm. and and Luthadel, mm -hmm. which is very interesting to me. I don't know if it will end up coming back back um i would probably put this under my probably won't happen but would be interesting if um we find out who who made that and they come across each other randomly um really the only like candidate would be potentially the lord ruler since he's really like i like i don't we don't know a lot about alamancers that are not part of our crew um so at this point that's really the only suspect and i don't really see the lord ruler like zipping around to fellies very often without anyone without no one noticing um, but I don't know. I just think it could be really interesting to, to find out, you know, who else needs a direct through line from Luthadel to Feliz. I, th I think it's interesting to think about why someone else might've 
created this, that, mm. uh, that Kelsier just found it and decided to use it. Um, moving on, we do have, as was mentioned, um, uh, the discussion of, um, or the mention that Lord Renault is a Kandra, I believe is the word. That is a word that we saw now. We've seen it a couple times now, but this one a little more directly. I, okay, I actually don't remember the previous times. Uh, yeah, me neither. I, th- I, I don't... Oh, this might actually be the first time. I think it's it's mentioned at least one other time in a kind of offhanded, we're not explaining this right now thing. Um, so I might be getting the order wrong. This may be the first okay. one. I, I, I don't remember that. I feel like I would have taken, taken note of that. Um, but could be, I might have missed it. Uh, regardless, I have thoughts. And okay. part of my thoughts are, man, I went so all in on the mystery theory, and I'm really hoping I'm still not wrong, and that Kandra is just a term referred to like a fully grown mistwraith who is able to to mimic um, others. And my thoughts are, one, I don't want to be wrong, because I don't like being wrong. But two, there is more to it. Um I personally feel like, and I should probably wait to read the book before I fully form this opinion, but I feel like it would be kind of silly to introduce, you know, in the in the prologue, we hear people talking about, you know, oh, she came back from the mists. Oh, careful, she might be a mist wraith. Like, from the very beginning, we have the idea that mist wraiths are able to, you know, steal your face and take on your identity and, and impersonate you. Um, and then we find out a little bit more about the mist wraiths, and they're not exactly that, but I feel like it would be a little silly to disprove that about mist wraiths and then later on be like oh but there's there's, there's this other creature that there, actually can totally do that different thing <laughs> yeah yeah that can do the exact same thing people are worried about and if that's the case then like why wouldn't people just call kandra the mist wraiths and then call the mist wraiths something else like if the thing that people know about mist wraiths is that they can steal your face and there is something that can steal your face you'd think people would be able to just at, I don't know if people have never seen a mystery before. You think uh, it's it's complicated. I think it would be a little bit silly to establish the myth that mystery that mysteries can steal your face, and then be like, no, it's not them, but it is this completely different thing. Um, so I'm not giving up on my theory. I'm hoping Kandra just refers to a kind of mystery. Okay, we will. I I did double check with the the ebook. Uh, it is actually later than the other time that Kandra is mentioned without explaining things. So you you didn't miss anything. Oh, um, good. I will but... I will have the exact same feeling later on of not getting an explanation. <laughs> I like the idea of them establishing myths, like you were just pointing out, establishing mist wraiths earlier and then zagging for this to be a different thing. Feels like that one Top Gear reaction image that's just like, oh no. Anyway. anyway <laughs> yeah. It's a good scene. Um, uh, going back to a theory that, again, I don't have a lot of chips on, but, you know, I, I'll put this at a 20%. Um, I, I, I mentioned, um, the idea of there being a secret Mistborn, someone who says they're misting, but they're secretly a Mistborn. Um, your, your money was on Shan at the last time. I think that was my money. Yes. Mine was on Marsh. Wrong wrong column. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. I see both of those. Yeah. That was from, from earlier. Yeah. Um, mine was on Marsh, and I, you know, still only 20% on this theory, but I stand by that because we get two little moments um, this time where Vin says, you're just a misting, right? 
And then it's one of the moments where he doesn't say anything. He just nods a little bit. And they, like Vin notes, oh, he's not actually going to like answer that question. Um, he does he know an awful he lot does... about all of Alamancy. Yes. Um, and the, yeah, he, he knows a lot about Alamancy. It's clear that he specializes in bronze. That's very clear. Um, but um, there's that little moment. And then Vin notices he's no soother, but he's still getting a lot of information out of me. And this is happening while Vin is not burning copper. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he is, in fact, soothing her to some degree um, as kind of a little like payback for the fact that she just did the same thing to him. Um, it's again, I'm not going all in on this theory, but if anyone is a secret Mistborn, I do think signs point to Marsh. Um, and I think that could be an interesting place to take it. Um, and there's also, you know, the question of, I don't think it's been asked very much, but what would make it so that Kelsier is a Mistborn, but Marsh isn't? You would think that, you know, if Alamancy is passed down through bloodline, siblings would be able to have similar or the same powers. Um, and I think we've actually also briefly mentioned that of the question of, well, does that mean Reen would be a Misting or a Mistborn if we ever see Reen again? Mm -hmm. um, just a lot of a lot of interesting things to think about in terms of how Alamancy functions among family members. Okay. I have more. Thank you for using our new percentage metrics. Of course. All right. We'll uh, we'll keep going. We'll see what else you've you've got to to add to the list. Okay. Uh, kind of going back a little bit uh, to a theory from last week. Um, Ham even has the own, his own replacement character already set up now with Lord Demo. Like it's. I feel like writing's on the wall at this point. Um, there's the moment where he says this fortress is completely impenetrable and completely secure. Ham said proudly, and I just wrote down, "Oh, buddy." Um, <laughs> I don't know if the fortress specifically is going to get attacked or if this is going to happen during the like heist when they're at Hathsin slash at Luthadel. Um, but I feel like whatever Kelsier's plan B is, which we don't really, again, we, we know very little about, whatever it is, I think he's totally okay sacrificing the entire army that he is gathering. And he's just going to be a-okay with all of them dying, ham included. Um... I don't know if he's going to necessarily directly betray or trick them, aside from just not telling them that they don't really stand a chance. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think he really cares about the fact that these people are probably going to die, and that's just kind of a stepping stone in whatever his major plan is. So is this a... I feel like last time it was more of a Ham will die in the course of action to raise the stakes. Is this a... Kelsier will throw the entire army, including Ham, under the bus? Is it, a, is it a slightly new flavor of theory? I think it's sort of adding on to the theory, because I don't think we're okay. going to be staying in Kelsier's headspace for all this. But I think we could certainly see from Vin, like, you know, hearing from someone, oh my god, the army was way more prepared than we thought. The rebellions are all dying. Ham's dead. Um, and Vin is, like, freaked out by that. And Kelsier's like, oh no um anyway <laughs> so anyway anyway back to my plan um so yeah i think it's a little bit of both i don't think there's i don't necessarily think it's going to be a big moment of betrayal but i do think um ham is going to basically be this kind of sacrificial lion and i think kelsier knows ahead of time that's probably going to happen um and is okay with that all right i mean it's certainly the the view that we saw of kelsier this chapter does not exactly 
lend him the the moral high ground to dispute your theory. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I understand where you're coming from there. Uh, and then I just have some last ramblings of what is Kelsier's secret plan to fight inflation. Um, what what exactly is is he is going on here? Um, I'm not putting any chips on any of this for now. This is me just asking questions. Um, but part of me wonders if this is all just a plot only to steal all the adium, and then that's just going to be like that. This is just part one of another plan that's going to happen in the next book. Um, and he's not at all planning to actually take the castle. He's not at all planning for Geddon and Hannah to be able to hold the castle. Um, this is this is literally just part one of of an even bigger plan down the line. And he just wants the adium, and whatever happens in the meantime, that's fine. He'll be able to get away while the chaos around him ensues. Um, uh, I think Kelsier, a big part of his plan is finding out what's in the shack. Um, but I feel like he wouldn't have gone on his solo mission if the heist is also a cover for him trying to get there. Um, that doesn't really track. So I don't think the mission itself is in order to find out what's in, what's in the shed, but, um, I could see him kind of taking a detour in the middle of the heist, um, to try and figure that out. Yeah. And if the Adium is the big thing, it's interesting to me that Vin is the one who came up with the idea to raid Hathsin, um, because I feel like getting control of Hathsin would also be a good way of stealing a bunch of Adium. Obviously, it's very hard to find, as we've seen. Um, But if Hathsin is unguarded, um, and that's where all the Adium is, um, it's interesting that that's just kind of a, a... side plot of the larger plan um don't really have a theory there just kind of thinking out loud it's interesting that the source of all adium in the world is the distraction they're using and not actually the main right okay uh lots that we can check in on as we continue through this book and possibly other books we'll see but other than that i think i'm going to give another once over to this list and see if there's any past stuff that we want to bring back up or future stuff that we noted down as as particularly interesting uh i am going to say and i think caleb you've you've not acknowledged this fact uh if if we do any sort of comparison of of predictions between the two of you uh we do need to acknowledge that it it would have to be a percentage thing and not a quantity thing <laughs> uh Oh, I'm well aware. <laughs> the shotgun approach may may result in more hits. Yeah, Texas sharpshooter. I wouldn't even call it shotgun. I I feel like I feel like um, Sam has a shotgun that he's firing like five or six times, and then I have like an M60 that I'm just firing all over the place. <laughs> um, and some of those bullets are going to hit the targets way out at the other end of the range, and. Uh, some of those bullets will travel for miles and never hit anything. I'm, I'm well aware of that. I, on that note, uh, between the two of you, you did hit another prediction of that's a thing that happens in a different book. So well done there. <laughs> awesome. Yay. My predictions are more like a potato gun. By all accounts, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Potatoes are a staple food, okay? They're not exciting. But I you feel need like them. rice would have been a better comparison. I'm literally Marge Simpson holding up a potato and saying, I just think they're neat. Why are you bad-mouthing potatoes? <laughs> literally have a potato in your hand. I can go grab one. I've got one in the kitchen. 
<laughs> good. All right. If Nerd. if you do that, I'm signing this podcast off while you're gone. Wait, hang on. How is how is having a potato in the kitchen relevant to being a nerd? Sam, explain yourself. Listen, okay? All I ever eat is frozen pizza and mac and cheese, okay? And I'm an adult. I'm a 30-year-old grown-ass man. <laughs> so, potatoes... Processed food, right. Caleb. That's what Americans eat. Caleb actually went and got the potato. That means I'm back. That I I've, got the potato. That That's means correct. I've got to sign things <laughs> off here. I just think they're neat. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you want to talk to us about potatoes or really just anything else, email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, we appreciate uh, everyone tuning in to listen. This has been a lot of fun for us, and it will continue to be so. Uh, for the next section, we are finishing part three. It's four chapters. It's chapters 22, 3, 4, and 5. And I'm hitting the stop recording button before Caleb goes and gets another potato. Bye. Send us your potato recipes.